When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am about to introduce a longtime friend. His name is David Patrick Columbia. He is the know-it-all of the social scene. And the first thing I want to know is, why do you happen to have three names when most of us have two? Well, actually, I have three names because I was given a middle name, Patrick. My, uh, Columbia is an Irish name, although a lot of people don't believe it. And, and uh, my father wanted a Patrick in there to, to confirm the Irishness. My mother hated the name, so I never used it. And actually, the truth of it is, uh, years and years ago, a woman named Desia Restivo gave me a reading. She used, to, she used to write a column in Quest magazine, and she looked at my cards, and she said, do you have a, do you have a middle name? And I said, I, I do, but I never use it. And she said, what is it? I said, it's Patrick. She said, always use it. And actually, I did. I started using it after that, and the truth of it is, people remember that more than they remember David Columbia. I don't know why. Okay. Okay. At least it's a decent answer. What the hell? I'm back. I'm happy to have it. Where are you from? Well, I was born here in New York City. Uh, my father was a New Yorker, and uh, when I was about two years old, I moved up to a little town in Massachusetts called Westfield, and I grew up in Westfield. And when I got out of college, I came to New York. And, and when you I, came, when you came to New York, you got rid of the Massachusetts accent, did you not? Actually, I came from Western Massachusetts, and they don't have an accent. I mean, they do have an accent, but it's not like the accent people think of it as a Massachusetts accent. It's like no, like the Kennedys, people like that. So I, do, I don't have a, I don't have an accent, but I think it's just the way it was. I was brought up. Okay, you are now about to be famous, even more famous, because you have a documentary coming out. When, where, what? The documentary is coming out this. Uh, on the 14th, on and I, and I cannot, it's on one of those channels that shows you documentaries, and I don't know which one it is. Uh, that's my, my, my fault. That's but. very nice. That's very elegant to have you on, and you don't even know where the hell your documentary is. I'm <laughs> thrilled. I'm thrilled. Okay. How did you start? How did you start in this business in the first place? Well, actually, uh, my father uh, was a New Yorker, as I said. He was born in 1900, and he actually, um, when he lived in New York as a young man, he was a chauffeur. And uh, when I was growing up in Massachusetts, my mother always used to ask him about the people that he drove. And, for example, his favorite, his favorite boss was a man named um, Black Jack Bouvier, the father of, yeah. of Jackie and, and Lee. And uh, actually, uh, I uh, what happened was I used to love these stories that they talk about the people who lived in a much different world from the world I was growing up in. And uh, so I I wanted to, I was always a writer from the time I was about 10 years old. I asked my mother for a Smith Corona portable typewriter for Christmas. I knew that was a lot to ask from her because she had to work, but she got it for me. And I that's when I started writing down everything that was in my head. And I always wanted to write a social column in New York, but I didn't know how to get that 
how to do that and how to get it done. And at a certain point, I had moved out to Los Angeles, where I went out to really commit myself to being a writer. And I wrote a book for Debbie Reynolds. I wrote her memoir. And I was hired to write a book for, um, for Bob, there they have it. I was hired to write a book for Bobby Short. And uh, I had a feeling that it wasn't going to work out very well um, because Bobby didn't really like to talk about anything other than. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened was actually it's, it's, uh, about in 1992, I came out here to New York. I liked living in L.A. I came out here to New York to, to work on this book, and I was very depressed about it because I had a feeling it wouldn't work. And I got stopped for speeding in St. Louis. And a cop was really rough on, where are you going? I told him I was going near. Where are you going to New York for? I told him. He said, who, 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 who are you going to write a book for? I told him I was going to write a book for a cab racing named Bobby Short. And his whole mood changed. He said, Bobby Short? Oh, you've got to drive carefully. So he <laughs> let me go. And as he let me go, I said to myself, if you, I, I, I felt good for a moment there. I said to myself, well, Let's say it doesn't work out with Bobby and you are stuck in New York. If you could do anything you wanted to write in New York, what would that be? And I said to myself, honestly, I would like to write a social column. And then I said to myself, well, nobody knows you. And that's so don't even think about it. But I was here for a couple of months and a friend of mine, Beth DeWoody, took me to a cocktail party at Chanel. I didn't know they had cocktail parties at Chanel. And uh, I met a little English lady named Heather Cohane, yeah. who owned a magazine called... Yeah. Yeah. And Heather uh, asked me to write a piece for her. She knew my byline, and I did. I wrote about 10 pieces. And one day she said to me, would you like to write a social column? And that was how it started. And uh, I started writing in Quest magazine. And then when we went online in 2000 with the New York Social Diary, it's been every day. And as you know, every day is a job. <laughs> so why are you so boring to talk to? I mean, I tell you, you never seem to have thing to say okay so tell me <laughs> tell me who doesn't like you everybody seems to like you i write so i know not everybody is going to like what i write what about you uh i have a few people who don't like me but i don't I don't pay any attention to that. Uh, usually they say terrible things, and um, that, that's the message, and it's okay. But one thing I learned early on in my life, because it was always a struggle from the time I was a childhood in many ways. We were poor, et cetera, et cetera. I made a point of always being nice. Um, and actually, I've learned in my now long life, I'm going to be 82 in July, I've learned, I'm learned that actually by being nice, people respond to you usually in a positive way. Yeah, but if you're always nice, you can also be always boring. Yeah, well, what I try to do is put in a few stories about things that aren't so boring, like people having affairs and cheating and lying and stealing. And Good, so tell me a few. Tell me a couple of stories. I don't care if you leave out some names, but tell me some stories. Or stuff that you haven't used, or stuff that you have used and got smacked for. I'm oh, flexible. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you. I, um, you know, it's interesting because now I've found I've been doing this for 20 years, and now I've found that actually uh, there is nothing very much that's a scandal anymore because everything that's going on that used to be a private story and a secret is now out there in front of you, and you get to see it on the street if you want. Um, so it's a little more difficult to come up with a, a story. So sometimes what I do do 
is I'll repeat a story that I told 20 years ago uh, because I realized 20 years later the reader's probably not reading it or it's a new reader. And uh, I told a story about a very rich girl here in New York, a really rich girl, and she had lots of men in her What's life. What's her name? What's her name? Um, um, oh, God, I, I can't think of her name. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're not going to give me a story here? You're going to give me a blind story? <laughs> it's a blind, a blind is all I've got. I mean, you're, I'm, you're a loser. Tell me at least what is society? There isn't any more society. No, there's no society mean today? anymore. And actually, uh, and this documentary came because a woman said, a woman who writes for us sometimes said to me they wanted to make a documentary about society. And I said to her, there is no society anymore. She said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm writing about social life in New York. But actually, what was society doesn't exist. It's just changed. And and it's that's the way it is. Now it's just a crowd of people. Well, what is well, what becomes the social scene? The aged people who are now schlepping to Florida, the people who used to live in the Hamptons but aren't anymore. What is it? Who is so-called society? The, uh, the people who are so-called society are the ones who are getting themselves photographed at parties, which which are often shown on my website and other col- social columns. And actually, they're the social people. But as you know, and as I know, that society used to have a formula, and it existed with very real rules that don't exist anymore for people. So society is really gone, but social life is still very, very active. And it's mainly at the end of the camera lens. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever screw up with a story? I don't. I can't think of one that I did. Um, oh, it's impossible. I mean, it's impossible that you're so perfect that you never screw no, no, up with a no, story. No, I, no, no, it's. I don't. No, you can't don't, even remember anybody you ever said something bad about. I'm getting disgusted with you. Oh no 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 no! I I don't say anything bad about people. I make that my point. I'm I'm known as very nice because I am actually very nice in yeah. the that I'm not out to get anybody, and I actually don't want anybody to get me back. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I get your point. <laughs> Does anybody care about so-called? society today i understand your column is very good we all read it we all love you i understand that but who cares cares about society today well you know it's it's uh it's interesting it's the older people and they're still believing in it and those are the ones and actually the the column is read all over the world and for example in england i have a lot of readers in england and they still think of things as having society because they've got that royal family they care about it and they're still into it in a way but they they don't understand it's just really gone because the world has changed dramatically as you know so can you give me one story that you might like to share? Well, um, you really caught me here. Uh, <laughs> I don't you know. write a column. Can't... can't you open your own magazine and tell me some story? Well, uh, usually the stories are about, as I said, they're about usually about people having affairs or having marriage breakups. Um, I, I had a story not fairly recently about a marriage that was considered a very happy marriage. And actually, it turned out that uh, the wife 
wasn't really all that interested. And it turned out he actually wasn't interested. And she became suspicious. And then she became suspicious. She found out that actually he was having a relationship with someone else. And the someone else was a man. And actually, she found that out. And she let him know. And um, she accepted it. And she uh, had a she had a secret personal private secretary. And she needed to um, replace that secretary and she told the guy the the husband to bring this boyfriend in and be her secretary and he did and uh they then got divorced and he went off with the secretary and then he died and left everything to the secretary nice okay this being valentine's day i presume you're not going to give us any name no i'm not <laughs> oh you know in my day in the early day i remember reporting about the duchess of windsor and she used to go to these big parties in palm beach and she would get paid by with jewelry from cartier do you remember those things i do because i wow. used to report on them i no. reported on them that that's amazing that's extraordinary but you see the day you're talking about there was more of that that is going on than there is now. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, I, I, I went out to dinner last night at a new, a new restaurant, Faisano, I think it's called, uh, on, on uh, 49th Street. Okay. And uh, there, the, the woman I had dinner with was telling me about, uh, she's in the public relations business, and she was telling me about a client she has that's in the renting the jewelry business. And they're very, very successful, and they rent major jewels. And you can rent them for three or four days and things like that. That's why society isn't what we used to know. It's now everything is available if you've got the money, and you just get it, and you, that's it. You mean like consignment shops where people are buying secondhand used clothes? Yeah, well, no, so these this are is... major pieces of jewels, and actually they're very, very. They they rent for like I don't know, three hundred dollars a day, something like that, and they're really good. They're really good jewels, and um, that's what they are. And and these these women who can afford it are doing that rather than having more. Do do uh, do Secret Service people or police come with them? I don't know. <laughs> but that's very interesting. They do that at the Oscars and something. They hang something on your neck for an hour and a half, and then they schlep it off fast. But right. there are cops and things around. I didn't know that with today's thieves, you could take a ruby necklace that's worth $100,000 right. for 300 and wear it for an evening. Right. I don't well, know. Maybe they have secrets. I was surprised. She said it's very successful and they do very, very well. And their clients are very, very wealthy clients. Okay. How long does it take you to write a Quest magazine article? It's a long piece. It, yeah, that'll take me a couple of days. How much in advance do you do it? Uh, well, I have deadlines all the time, as you do. And so my deadlines, they, they are, they're the ones that determine what I have to do and how long I have to do it. Now, in a quest piece, I, have, I may have several days. So what I do is I gather the information, and then actually two days before it's due, I start setting it down and making uh, a piece out of it. But you are a wonderful writer a wonderful friend, and you have given me no information, and I love you anyway. 
Oh, thank you so much. Well, you are always interesting no matter what. So thank you, really David. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, honey. Thank okay, you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.